Good morning and welcome. Uh, my name's Justin. I'm the student minister here. And today is a really special day, as uh, last week was as well. Last week was Mother's Day, and we celebrated moms, especially new moms, and all these new children in our church family. And today is kind of a bookend. It's bittersweet because we're celebrating our graduates and their last 18 years and what they're going to do in the future, all that God has done in them and all that God is going to continue to do in them in the future. But the sad part is they're doing that somewhere else. Um, as I start today, I want to tell you all two stories. The first is from when I was in fifth grade. Me and my dad went on the church camp out, uh, and we loaded up one Friday night after dad got off work, and there was rain in the forecast. And it was starting to get windy, and so we loaded all our stuff up into dad's Chevy C10 Custom Deluxe. If you're not familiar with the Custom Deluxe model in 1980, it was the fleet model, it was the cheapest one you could have, but as an 11-year-old, I thought it was the nice one because it was custom and deluxe. <laughs> Ours had the custom floor ventilation where the rust had eaten away from the other side, which to a fifth grader was great because you could drop M&Ms and Skittles through that hole and watch them rolling down the highway behind you. So we get in this truck and we go out to Lake Somerville for the church camp out. And by that time, it was starting to get a little bit more windy and it was starting to rain a little bit. It was lightning kind of all across the sky. Everybody else had already gone to bed. It was about 9 o'clock. We put together a tent similar to this one here, uh, only not as expensive. And um, we, we curled a tarp around the bottom and then curled it up on the edges, you know, to keep the water, as the water, we knew it was going to rain. The water was going to run down the hill. And ideally, it was going to go under the tent. And we had a rain fly over the top, and the top was one of those mesh tops. So we get in the tent. And the rain comes, and the rain starts coming harder and harder and harder until it's like the hurricane in Forrest Gump. And the rain fly below us got blown down flush with the ground, so water was going over the tarp and into the tent. And I was laying in this cotton Coleman sleeping bag, like this, just totally soaked. It felt like I was in a wet pizza dough. And I was like, okay, we're going to stick this out. And Dad was sticking it out too. And it kept raining more. And finally, the wind blew the rain fly off the top of the tent. And the rain was coming from below and above. It was like the song. The rains came down, the floods came up. And so we're just totally miserable. So we got in the custom fancy pickup and went back home and slept at home. Uh, recommendation, do sleep at home and then go out for the camp out during the day because then you don't have to sleep on the ground. Uh, next story. This will relate to our high school graduates. Um, when I was a uh, senior, miraculously, I graduated high school. And three months later, um, early August, I loaded up my single cab Chevy truck, only 20 years newer, with all my earthly belongings. And I drove nine hours to a far and distant land with trees. They call it Arkansas. And... Uh, it, it was pouring rain when I pulled up that day, just like it was when we were camping as kids, when I was a kid. It's pouring rain, all my stuff is soaked, and I check into a dorm. I didn't know anybody. I, I knew two girls, but no, no guys going into the dorm. I had a potluck roommate, and I stayed in the dorm temporary, temporarily for three years. Made, 
made some good friends there. And our senior year, we rented the cheap, we were, you think I'm cheap. My roommates were even cheaper than me. We rented the cheapest house we could find. It was, it was four bedrooms for $750 a month. And uh, that was, even though that was before the housing market exploded, that was still really cheap. It was the worst house in town. Similarly to uh, Dad's Custom Deluxe truck, it had holes in the floorboard of my bedroom. So in the wintertime, at best, it was about 55 degrees. And that was similar to our lives as Christians here. Those were temporary places. I was in a temporary tent when we were camping, and I was in a temporary dorm in college, and I was in a temporary house at the end of our time there. As Christians, we're in a temporary place here. I wrote this short poem to better explain it to you. Uh, As Christians and as high school graduates, you're not home, but you're only camping in tents. We'll be here for such a short time that the present may as well be past tense. Hence, in the meantime, as foreigners and strangers being made in the likeness of one whose birthplace was a manger, be a light to the world. For through you, God's story is still being told. I want to tell you a little bit more about God's story uh, and God's people. In the beginning, God created man and woman in his own image. He created them uh, male and female, and he created them very good. He created everything else just regular good, and then he creates man and woman in his own image, and that's why they were very good. He created them in the garden, and he created many seed-bearing and and fruit-bearing trees and plants, And he says, you can eat from anything you want. Primarily, he created the tree of life. And he says, you can eat as much of the tree of life as you want. So you have this tree that is unlimited life for God's newly created people. However, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, that's the only one you can't eat from. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will surely die. If they eight of that tree, then they would know the difference between good and evil. And so Satan came and Satan deceived them into eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they eat of it. They fall. God banishes them from the garden. He places an angel with a flaming sword to guard that garden where the tree of life is. And so they were separated from this place that was perfect with unlimited life. Later on in the story, there's a guy named Abraham. God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a chosen people. I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So Abraham and his wife thought that was funny because they were old and they could not have kids. But because God is faithful, he blessed them with a son and created, just like he said, a chosen race, a chosen people from Abraham's seed. Later on in the story, they get sold into slavery, and God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. If you're enslaved somewhere for 400 years, you don't have a history, you don't have a future, you don't have a home, you don't belong there. So they didn't remember what was before them, and they didn't have any plans for the future. But God raises up Moses, as some of us have heard the story. God raises up Moses, and not through Moses' works or through the people's works, but through God's power and God's mercy, he sets them free from slavery. 
But even though they go free, they're into the wilderness. They didn't go directly home. They went into the wilderness. I wrote this other poem. It's fairly short. The fact is, they were not home. From slavery, they were set loose to roam. They camped in tents in temporary places. To the world, they were unfamiliar faces. With no wealth or even food to buy, God gave them manna to feed them from the sky. But looking above to a better place, the world thought them useless, a worthless race. But through them, God did provide a special man full of truth and grace who was going away to prepare a place, a home. Here was not his home. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. There was no place to rest his head. A heretic blasphemer, some people even said. I want to tell you a few stories about Jesus. God prepared this man, Jesus, from them, from this chosen race, the Israelites. And it was because man could not reach God on their own. We could not reach to God, so Jesus comes on the scene, and he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus comes, God with us. John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's in John 14. God became one of us, made his home here. Because we could not reach him. We could not have a relationship with him on our own. But when you think of God coming to us, you wouldn't expect the way Jesus looked. You would have expected some miraculous thing coming from heaven and light and something something big. But when Jesus comes, he came as a foreigner. He didn't look special. There wasn't even a place for him when he was born. He was born in an agricultural setting, and there wasn't space for him. He says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Uh, Later on in Jesus' life, he starts his ministry. And when Jesus starts his ministry, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers fishing. And he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Which is a strange play on words. It's kind of it's kind of unusual. It's, I, if I was one of those fishermen, I would be like, why are, you, why are you speaking to me in poems? You know, I'm trying to fish here. But it's interesting that Peter is willing, Peter, one of these brothers that he calls, is willing to follow him into this strange kind of, um, this vague thing of being a fisher of men. And I wonder if it's because Peter had been searching for home and searching for satisfaction his whole life. He had been trying new things. He had always been chasing the next best thing. And so when Jesus came on the scene and says, I'll make you a fisher of men, I wonder if Peter saw that and thought, maybe maybe this is worth a shot. Maybe this guy is worth following. Maybe he has something that will satisfy me the way I've always been searching for satisfaction. And it turns out he did. A little bit later on in the story, Jesus and Peter and a few others are traveling up a mountain. It's speculated that this is Mount Tabor. I have a picture of Mount Tabor. Uh, So they're traveling up potentially this mountain here. And somewhere along the way, the way Jesus physically looks changes. Jesus' face shines like the sun, and Jesus' 
his clothes are white as light. That's what the text says, Matthew 17. This happens to Jesus. And Peter says this really unusual thing, and I've always read this text and thought, why would you say that when Jesus looks like he's in kind of a heavenly body, a heavenly uh, appearance? Peter says, let's put up three shelters. Let's put up three tents. Let's stay here. It's good for us to be here. And I just, I've always read that and thought, you know, I would have said a lot of things, but that's not what I would have said. Let's put up a tent while Jesus looks like he's in heaven. But it gets cut off from this voice in heaven. This voice from heaven comes down and says, This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then everything goes back to normal. But I think in that moment, when Jesus shines like the sun... And when this voice from heaven, God acknowledges him as king, as his own son, I think Peter realized that what he had always been searching for, the home, the satisfaction that he had always longed for but could never quite find, he had found it. And so he says, let's put up three shelters, let's put up three tents, three shacks, whatever it takes to stay in this place where I'm in the presence of God and his son, acknowledged as king, That's where my home is, and that's where I want to stay. Unfortunately for Jesus and Peter both, they could not stay there. They had to run a little bit further in the race. They had to endure a lot of suffering, both of them. I think similar to Peter, we search for home in all kinds of places. We look for satisfaction, for comfort, for belonging all over the place. And we come up short every time because we have a home that's not here and satisfaction that is meant to be found in something that is not earthly. So we say the following things. We say things like, whenever I get out of middle school, my life will finally be better because people will stop making fun of me and I'll, you know, my voice will stop cracking and it'll just, life will be better after middle school. And then you get to high school. And you think, well, high school was worse for me. You get to high school and you're like, man, if I can only get to college or only graduate and get a job and not have to worry about all these classes that I don't like taking anymore, then my life will be all right. Then everything will be good. Then my acne will go away. And for some of us, it obviously doesn't. Then we go to college or we get a job and we think, if only I could further my education and get paid more and get a successful life, then I would be happy and then I would be satisfied. I'd be complete. In essence, I would be home. And some of us who are single say, if only I could find a spouse, if only I could get married and have that kind of camaraderie, that kind of home to be one flesh with somebody and share my, the rest of my life with somebody, then I'd be satisfied. And as good as marriage is, marriage, earthly marriage, is not what we're made for. Earthly marriage It's just an image. It's just a reflection of the relationship that God's people, the church, have with Jesus. And if you look for home and satisfaction in marriage alone, you won't find it. Some of us who are married, who can't have kids, think if only we could have a baby. If we had a baby, then our life would be better. Then we would have arrived. If we could have a full family, everything would be all right. Others of us 
have kids, and we think life's hard having toddlers. If only we could get our kids out of diapers and save money on diapers, and if only we could train them to eat and not drop crumbs on the floor, and only if, if only we could get them to have manners and be respectful and all that. And then your kids get to be high schoolers. And then you think things like, if only my high schoolers would respect me and acknowledge that I'm wise and I do have their best interests at heart, if only that would be the case, then my life would be right. If I could only launch them as responsible, God-fearing young adults, then everything would be good. And as good as it is to train up children and youth in God's ways, that is not where your home is. Your home is in the presence of God as his child. Others of us are paying for our kids to go to college, and we're thinking, if only we could get our kids out of college and finally save 100 grand a year, or 200 grand a year, whatever it is. If only we could save that money and start saving for retirement because we're getting old quick, then we would be satisfied. Then we would be comfortable. And then we would be home. But that's not what our home is meant to be. Others of us are saving for retirement. Our kids are grown. We've got grandkids, and you're trying to make it the last 10 or 5 years to retirement. And especially in our economy, it's really easy to lean on God and not money because it just tanks. But you're trying to finally cross that finish line and make it to retirement because you think, if only I could rest and retire, then I would be satisfied. But that's not your home. You weren't made for that. Like Peter, we will not find home and satisfaction until we're in the presence of God. At the end of the Bible, there's this book called Revelation, and Revelation is really hard to understand. It's, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. If you just read Revelation cold, you'll kind of have a lot of questions, and it'll be really unclear. And that's because Revelation is an artistic kind of rendition. It's this, um, it's this abstract idea of what heaven looks like. But it does have some key things, which are, no pun intended, low-hanging fruit, and you'll see different aspects of heaven portrayed in Revelation, and that'll help you understand what heaven looks like. One of the key things you'll see in Revelation is the tree of life, and you won't see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In heaven, there is un unlimited life. We have access again to the tree of life, and that is life eternal. Another thing is the river of life. There's this river flowing through heaven and there is unlim unlimited water of life in that river. There's no pain, no sadness, no tears, no more mourning because the old order of things has passed away. Revelation is written by this author named John who was on an island called Patmos. And on that island, he tells us specifically what he experienced. In Revelation chapter 21, he says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God with us. God came down as Jesus. He made his dwelling place among us. The word became flesh so that we could be in relationship with him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Later on in chapter 21, he says this, I did not see 
a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty are its temple. The city does not need, uh, excuse me, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Heaven is a big place. Heaven is full of a lot of people and God has made everything right. Right now, we're not home. We're only camping in tents. So that's kind of discouraging, right? To know that we're far away from home and that heaven's this great place, but right now we experience pain and sadness and we toil and we don't have that access to the tree of life like Adam and Eve did in the beginning. But we do have this. When Jesus was leaving, he says, it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to leave you the Spirit. So this is what Scripture says about the Spirit. Uh, I believe the first one is from John 16. The Holy Spirit that God has given us does some very special things in our lives. Uh, so John 16, Jesus says this, But truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not be able to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit advocates for us. The Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf because we belong to God. Next scripture, Second uh, Corinthians 1. Another thing the Spirit does, Paul says this, God has set his seal of ownership on us. We belong to God and we are marked with the Spirit. And he put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, a guarantee of what's to come. Guarantee is another thing uh, mentioned in Ephesians 1. It says this, The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance, what we have to look forward to, the retirement that we have, the home we have, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So if you're one who takes notes, if you've got a a scripture journal or any uh, other note-taking device, I want you to take away these points about the Holy Spirit and what God does for us as we're foreigners and strangers in this world. The Holy Spirit, A, advocates for us. The Holy Spirit, or not A, one. The Holy Spirit advocates for us. The Holy Spirit seals us makes us his children. And the Holy Spirit guarantees what is to come. It's a down, pause, down payment. It's a deposit of the home we have in God's presence. So here's the bad news. We're not home here, and we're not home yet. Our home isn't in high school or the college y'all are going to. It's not in our jobs. It's not necessarily in our families. It's not in our marriages We don't have earthly value in these things, but we have something better. We have citizenship in heaven. We have a place that Jesus has prepared for us. And until we are in that place, we will always be longing for it. To every graduate, you're not home yet, but only camping in tents. You'll be here for such a short time that the present may as well be past tense. Hence, in the meantime, as foreigners and strangers, being made in the likeness of one whose birthplace was a manger, be a light to the world, for through you, God's story is still being told. I want to close with this. In Revelation, you see Jesus saying something. He says this really special thing. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Remember, God with us. 
and he will eat with me. So if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts, but open the door quickly because he offers you home and fellowship with God. I want to pray for y'all. Father, I want to pray for everybody here that is searching for home in places that is not home. I pray that we find satisfaction in you and in your presence. I pray that we long to be home with you. I pray that as foreigners and strangers in this world, we encourage one another and lift one another up and live the life, uh, live life to the full as you promised. Uh, help us to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against us, um, but lean into you and trust your spirit in everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.